everybody and welcome to the first episode of the new season three collective whisper podcast i am your host simon k excuse my voice guys i've been a little sick over the last few weeks so everything's been a bit delayed but we're here now that's the most important thing and it's great to have you guys back for season three we have some fabulous guests and some amazing content and stories to tell you and we hope you enjoyed season two we want to thank everybody who appeared on the show and all the stories we heard which were amazing so before we get our first guest of season three i just like to say that we hope you please share and subscribe to the show and pass it on to all your friends we hope to see you all during this next season so let's get started on to our first guest so this week i'm going to be talking to singer-songwriter colin devlin colin devlin is a musician from newry ireland he is also the singer and songwriter of ireland-based internationally acclaimed rock band the devlins the devlins have released four albums to date with their international career spanning three decades the cinematic atmosphere of the music has attracted many film directors and music supervisors over the years and their songs have been used in numerous international film and tv projects including the batman forever soundtrack several hbo shows including Six Feet Under and the movie Closer, to name a few. The band comprising of Colin Devlin, Peter Devlin, Mark Murphy and Guy Rickerby have continued to tour extensively, which has cemented their recognition and standing as an international act, receiving positive reviews for both their records and their live shows, playing everywhere from small clubs and theatres to Madison's Gardens and most places in between. Their music continues to be discovered by new fans due to the enduring quality of the songs and production. 2013 saw the release of their first new material in some time with the positively received single Julian, which was recorded in Dublin and Montreal and had them collaborating again with producer Pierre Marchand. Lou Elan are excited to announce that a long-awaited new album is scheduled for the first half of 2023 with plans to tour in support of the release. Colin Devlin's first solo record called Democracy of One was released in late 2009 to positive reviews. Colin Devlin continued his signature sound on 2018's High Point. His second solo effort was produced by longtime producer and collaborator Pierre Marchand, who worked with Sarah McLaughlin and Rufus Wainwright, amongst others, and recalls the work of classic move masters such as David Bowie, Brian Eno, Peter Gabriel and David Sylvian. Colin Devlin is also the creative director at Blue Alan Records. Colin was nominated for Best Irish Male at the 2010 Meteor Music Awards and Best Music of Video for The Heart Won't Be Denied at the IMTV Awards. That year, he also performed at the Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah. Welcome to the show, Colin Devlin. So, welcome to the show, Colin Devlin. How are you? How are you, sir? How is everything? You're in LA. Uh, yeah, actually in Pasadena, which is like, for, you know, close to LA so um uh yeah things are good things are good you've recently been back in Ireland and family vacations and stuff and how is Ireland kind of to you these days now are you shocked by the changes there and the housing crisis and everything yeah it's it's I mean you know, it's funny um it's the it's, it's tribunal after tribunal after tribunal wasn't it in Ireland yeah the housing crisis just it's desperate I mean god I mean look talk about the good and the bad about Ireland all day long, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's desperate. But I'll tell you what, I mean, the housing crisis in 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 LA is just insane, and we we live in Pasadena, 
which is a bit further out. And it's lovely. I mean, that's just, it's out of control and just getting worse. And no matter what the politicians say or don't say, you know, it's, it's not a problem that's going to be easily solved. No, I think what it is, the shame, you know, for me looking from Spain over at Ireland, kind of, and when I do go back there, it's a shame that for such a privileged country at the moment, because we have a lot going for us in Ireland, and, you know, they're, like the economy's good, but and people, you know, have pretty good jobs, and cost of living's pretty high, but it's a shame when you look at that and you see not only is there a homeless situation, homeless crisis, but there's like a homeless situation amongst families who are earning, but still can't afford to live. It's, it's quite shocking, isn't it? It just makes no sense. You know, it makes no sense. And, and, you know, you look at the amount of money that was wasted by, you know, builders and property developers in the first recession, you know, in 2008 and sort of, you know, stemming from there. I mean, even, you know, there was even a homeless problem during the Celtic Tiger, you know, it's like, it's, I mean, it can't be that, it can't be that hard to solve, you know. It's funny when we talk about music and, you know, recessions and economic crises and stuff. But it's funny because the next generation of songwriters are going to be writing about things that are affecting us now, like this kind of thing where people are being kicked out of their homes by the banks. And it's a, it's kind of a new type of revolution, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a, there's definitely a sea change happening in, in Ireland for sure. Um, but, you know, on the positive side of it, like, I mean, I love, I, I love going back. I mean, it's different. I mean, we live here now and... But I, you know, try and get back as often as I can to see, you know, see my dad, see the family, and um, so for us, like we, you know, it's just for my kids. You know, I have an eight-year-old and a, and a, a five-year-old, so it's great for them. It's very important that for me that they kind of, you know, feel that they're they're Irish and, and you know, um, so oh yeah, yeah, it's so important. I mean, listen, and you see it so much more, so much more clearly. Yeah, yeah, to have that heritage. When you're not living there, you know, how incredible uh, the wealth of talent and creativity that we have there and for all the negativity and all the bad things, you know, there's just no country in the world like it. For a small island, we have an overabundance of talent and that wealth of kind of culture and arts and everything. It's it's amazing because even now, I mean, there's so many different styles of music coming out of Ireland, but it's just amazing to see now for me, what I think is the diversity because, you know, in the past you had your, you know, your typical Irish man or woman kind of writing about things that affected them. But now you have people from Nigeria, from Kenya, from Senegal, from Italy, from everywhere that grew up as second generation Irish and are now writing about their history and their history before their parents came to Ireland, no? That is it's totally amazing to see. I was actually about to listen to um, uh, Susan O'Neill's new record this morning, which is really, really great. Which, so I digress away from that, but... Um, yeah, listen, it is a very changed country and it is amazing to, to, to see uh, and, and so much more cosmopolitan and international. And I think that's only a good thing, you know, uh, and it is a very vibrant city. But uh, yeah, got to get the homeless situation sorted out. You know, as any of the great songwriters, I suppose, when if, if the world was perfect, there wouldn't be great things to write about or sad things or tragic things to write about. So so I think it, it's fuel for the art. That's it. Tragedy and misery and sadness and happiness are fuel for the arts. They make us write about things that maybe would, wouldn't come out so easily. And in the end, they inspire other people. Yeah. Look at, I mean, look at punk or look at like, you know, all the sort of New York 
on the scene, you know, if it wasn't in a sort of, you know, in a sort of deep depression of, you know, sort of late seventies or whatever in New York, you know, which was a scary place. And, you know, they were able to get all these, you know, cheap lofts and, and you know, big spaces down in, you know, Soho or whatever. And I don't think we'd have any of that music or, you know, CBGBs, which is now a John, John Barbados. Of course. I mean, everything's born from something, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah. So for, for you at the moment, then, are you pretty busy? Are you doing a lot of recording or like what, what you can speak about? Are you currently kind of wrapped up in a lot of projects? Yeah, I, I've, well, we've signed a new record deal to make a new Devils record. So I, um, I've written through all the songs for that, I think, pretty much. So we're going to try and record that, um, hopefully in Dublin, um, in January or February. So really looking forward to doing that and just like playing. I just, I really miss playing with the lads, with Peter, my brother, and Mark Murphy, the guitar player, and the guy, Rick Bear, drummer. So I just really miss playing with the lads, and I really uh, love playing live with them and recording with them. So that's just what I'm kind of looking forward to doing that next year. And the record label that we're signed to, um, uh, it's called Blue Alan Records, and they're based in LA. And there's a really, really nice bunch of people. And I also kind of work with them in a sort of creative director capacity. Um, sort of helping out with other bands and, you know, just sort of, I guess, you know, through my career, I've kind of seen both sides of, of the business in terms of like, you know, major labels, indie labels, you know, all sorts of stuff. So uh, they kind of appreciate my perspective on, on, on things and some artists need it more than others. Some artists don't need it at all. You know, it's important to have your own vision, you know. Yeah, that's the thing now, isn't it? Because, you know, you'll get a lot of independent artists who maybe look at record companies and say, is it worth being with a record company? Are they only there for marketing purposes? Can they further my career? If I put money into it myself, even a small amount, can I achieve the same results but have less influence from the record company? So I think it's quite a hard decision now, isn't it? Because maybe record companies don't offer as much as they used to to artists. Yeah, it, it is it is a really uh, tough decision. I think it depends on the kind of artist you are, you know. Um it's so easy the 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 you know, the 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 barrier to injury is so low in terms of making music. Anybody can make music. You know, li- literally your cat can make music and you, <laughs> yeah. you could release on Spotify and you know, it'd probably be okay, you know. And um so there's not a lot of really bad. I mean, look, it's all subjective. What's good, what's bad, whatever. But I think that um, my point is that there's a lot of stuff out there, and well, it's whatever. There's some like sixty thousand songs get uploaded to Spotify per day or something like that. And um, so think about that for a second. I mean, just you know, let let that sit. Sixty thousand. So um, I I think that what you need to do is just you know, for me, I think it's just finding you know, knowing sort of who your audience are or or, or I don't know. I, and then also, the point about it is that it's harder sometimes. I think for really great, for great, great music, sometimes can get lost. So the benefit of a record company, I think, um, an independent record label can be a benefit if you have a, a sort of career trajectory that's happening. You know, that's starting to happen, and that you're driving it yourself, and then you're they're partnering with you to help you expand that in terms of spending money on, as you said, marketing you know distribution to a certain extent i mean you know like for example say on spotify you know when you watch the spotify and go there's the marquees they call them at the top you know it's like somebody's paying for those and then that's maybe exposing people to new music and there are benefits to it but then also record labels maybe don't suit some people because they just doesn't you know 
So I think it all depends. And I, for me, I think it like if you're if you're an artist and you're doing your own thing and you're driving it and you feel you're building it yourself organically, then I think maybe a, a record company can be a benefit to you. You're not kind of um, beholding to them really. Then it's more a partnership. Maybe in the initial stages, in the early days, you had record companies who kind of came in, took over the band, you know, made a lot of important decisions. But now, I think a lot of record companies will only approach bands when the numbers are high, when they see there's real potential there. They don't take so much of a gamble, but what they do is they say, okay, you've got to that level, but now to get to the bigger level, you you might need help and we can partner up with you. Yeah, exactly. And then that makes sense. I mean, look, and then there's different worlds, you know, the pop world is just a completely different world. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I enjoy listening to a good pop song, but, you know, it's a different type of marketing, different type of thing. Or you know, or like you know, variants, you know, like hip hip hop and rap, and you know, that's just a different world, you know, uh, and and that again is a very different thing. It's it's so street, it's so uh, it really is a completely different world as, as to how that music surfaces and is sold and is distributed, and um, you know, so there are so many different ways I think I think to do it, but you know, ultimately the music has to be great and it has to it has to resonate with people in some way and touch them and move them five people can hear uh, music and say that's really good but then one important person or one person who maybe could put that music out there whether it be a critic or a record company executive or somebody that person is the one that maybe that's where the look comes in because they might say that's brilliant that's everything but like you said music is subjective and they might say it's not what we're looking for and it's not, you know, it's been done before and then that can kill everything. So it's a really hard thing, isn't it? No matter, because, you know, with friends and family, they all love your music. And I also believe then I've kind of realized over the years, there's that personal bias. I always call it yeah, that where yes. you work so much with your own songs, you think they're good and you think they're great. And then one day maybe you have to kind of say, oh, maybe they're not as good as I thought they were, you know? Yeah, um, that's, that's, that's a hard day. But that's that's okay too, you know. And then you know what? Maybe they are great. You see, you just you know that's it, you know. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know. (laughs) Everybody. I think. I think in music you have to have some kind of exceptional talent, whether it's the way that you program a drum machine, or whether it's the way that you sing, or the way that you play guitar, or the way that you. It has to be something exceptional, because it's like that thing of what you're saying is like, oh, you know, um, you know, my son or daughter. We all love. We all think they're great. They're brilliant. You know, you should sign them to your record label, and uh, you know. So and then, but you know, like look at, but then you just don't know. Look at Hosier's story. It was whatever Caroline Desmond went to. She was in. He was in school with, with, uh, Caroline's son or daughter. I think, and she went to some of the school concert at the school concert and said, "This guy's amazing." You know. So yeah, and just you can be found. Yeah, and and because you know. Great songs, you know, can break through, you know, and, and like that, take me to church. Of course. And, and so, sometimes it only takes one or two great songs to break an artist. I'm, you know, the, it can be a curse in some ways because that song can be the only thing people want to hear and they have to play that to death. And the other songs don't get the same attention. But in the same respect, that song can break them and put them somewhere where their other material can be seen. That's it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you never know. I mean, like, my a good my, one of my close friends um, is a producer, Rob Curran, and Rob produced Hosier record. 
And um, but you know, he, okay. Rob was doing a lot of records. You know, he was in Berlin and he was in Ireland. He did a lot of really great records. And this was just another record that he was doing. And he did it in a studio in Dublin, and and it was done uh, pretty quick. I think literally over like a couple of weekends. The EP. But Rob, you know, had enough sense to when he listened to the basic to the demo of it, and he said, "This vocal is amazing. I'm not going. I'm not going to even try and reproduce that." And he basically sort of beefed up and added, you know, to to yeah. the vibe of, of the demo that was there. So I think it's just like you know, the older I get, I, you know, you just you just have, you just try to trust your instincts on on what's on, on what you feel is good, like, and that's all you can do. With, whether you 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 know you're not right or wrong, they're just your instincts. And like I, I've been doing quite a lot of uh, like producing um, with um, with with the the label boss of Blue Land, Kirk Passage, who's an amazing guy, and um, we've kind of been co-producing a lot of records together recently, and it's fantastic just to be able to go in and um, just really be able to tr- you know trust your instincts and, and hone in on that. And you know we just we 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 just get excuse me we get everybody in live, we just get all musicians live, and we do it all off the floor. There's no tracking drums first the bass first we just you know get the band and you know have the singer in the control room with that you know with the sm7 sure sm7 microphone and just until we feel like the vibe is there it's like okay this, this sounds good let's just go with that and if you kind of if you can't have the freedom to do that um and you just kind of uh are in tune with it you know uh sometimes something special can happen if 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 the artist is good enough you see that's the thing isn't it? It, it as you said it's a vibe and that might be a point in the in their life or in the artist's life when it's the best time so for example it could be you know a good time in their life when the music is flowing or it could be a sad or tragic part of their life where the music is flowing in a different way but you catch that in the studio and maybe you know internally they could be a bit fucked up or out of place but when the songs come out you said there was a bit of magic there. Yeah, and and the more you kind of produce as well, it's kind of like it's capturing something that they don't even know is happening. It's almost it's like uh, uh, you're kind of just sort of guiding them really in in a way, um, and sort of you know and being open to to catching that. You know, it's it's that whole thing of you know where so many songwriters say you know the songs are just moving through me, and I just caught the song going through me. You know could have gone to somebody else you know and you know you hear that a lot with songwriters um there's different ways to do it sometimes it's a hard slog or you know like just so it's you know you like leonard cohen versus bob dylan you know who, you know <laughs> different way of doing it yeah, yeah. Whereas Le- Le- leonard's obviously slaving over every word you know and and then bob dylan throws it off that's the thing isn't it because for some for some songwriters they can throw the song really fast and other songwriters take years to finish one song and they're like, it's a masterpiece, but I can't finish it. And it's true. I was talking yes, to, yeah. I had Eleanor McAvoy in my the podcast recently. And uh, I love Eleanor. She's great. She's nice. Yeah. Yeah. She's a great Eleanor artist. Great and she was talking yeah. about the fact that there's a lot of, sometimes there's singers who aren't great songwriters, but then you have the opposite where there are songwriters who aren't great performers. So sometimes you have these different avenues people go down and they discover oh, well, I'm not the best performer, or I'm not confident enough, or I don't have that exceptional talent for performing or being an entertainer, but then maybe they can write incredible songs. So we all have to find our own way. And sometimes that can take years, no? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you do. And then, you, you know, you, you, as you get older, you know, you, you kind of, you just have to keep in tune with it, like whatever that is, you know, that, that you tuned into when you were 16 or, you know, 
and that's not easy you know and but you have to make the time for it as well if you if if you can make the time and to have that sort of quiet space where you allow that to happen and you know sometimes for me you know i have two two kids and so sometimes that that it sometimes it's hard to get that time so you you may end up it may that that time may end up for me being in the middle of the night or maybe at 4 a.m or or you know but you have to get a, a bed to because you have to finish the song because but then you've got to get up at six to bring the kids to yeah life is hard so like yeah but listen life is hard life is great I, you know so but how lucky you know in, in in so many respects really it's amazing for me i've always written kind of from a very individual point of view but then my wife now when we met she you know didn't know she had a voice and then she started singing with me a little and then we kind of started recording stuff together. But then what happens is you're together, you're a couple and it's like any of these couples, whether it be Fleetwood Mac or anything, life comes along. And when if you're if you have a family, but there's no your wife or girlfriend's not in the band, it, you have your own kind of routine. But then once there's two people in the band and then they're in the family, it kind of can cut the music a little bit and you have to find other ways of doing it. And. That's why life gets in the way, but you have to keep going. That's it. Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, so how did, you, how did how did you meet your wife? How did you end up in Alicante? Well, we, we we met actually in Ireland, but in uh, 2009. So my wife is Polish and we met we met in Ireland and um, we both kind of had a, this idea for a long time independently of going to Spain. So we we kind of said well let's do it and we planned and we're here oh fantastic we were in madrid for eight years sorry and then we're in alicante one year the, the people say to me oh do you do you prefer the life there and i say it's i i prefer the quality of life and the weather and all of these things but the only thing that the music culture in spain is not the same as ireland it's a very niche kind of market and if you're in Madrid, there's a little more. There's even more in Barcelona. Alicante, there's a bit less. So you kind of have to work it from a different angle, you know, because there's not so many gigs. You know yourself in L.A. If you're in L.A., there's lots of gigs. If you're in Galway sure, or okay. Dublin or Cork, there's lots of gigs happening. But like in Spain, that doesn't happen so much. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and then there's, 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 there's all the sort of traditional music in Spain as well. Like that's, it's a bubble. Yes. Yeah. I say to people here, you know, they say, do you know this artist? And they say they're very famous in Spain. And I say, well, we have that in Ireland, too. There are great groups in Ireland, like the stunning saw doctors who locally and nationally people love, but don't break it outside. It's hard to break outside the bubble, isn't it? It is. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot, lot of lot of countries like that. I mean, like. Canada sometimes feel like that as well, you know. There's like these huge bands, you know, they're just huge in Canada, you know, or whatever. And uh, I, so I think that's the same all over the world, really. But that's you know, that's okay. Let's go back a little bit. I like to go back and kind of talk about your influences and growing up with you know, music and how it kind of came about for you. So your early life. So you, you're from Newry, no? So so the thing is, early life in Newry for you, you and Peter. Um, how did you kind guys kind of get into music and was it a family thing or was it outside influence? Uh, I mean, we always had music in the house, but my parents weren't musicians, no. Um, but we were always just music obsessed, you know, and, and then our older brother, Boric, who now lives in Sydney and with his wife and they, um, they live in Sydney. Um, he also had great taste in music and had a great record collection and, um, 
and my sister as well, actually. So we were always, um, and that, it was around that time when, um, you know, a punk was just kind of starting to happen, you know. So like we sometimes, you know, we'd, we'd go, we'd, we'd um, our mum would bring us to Belfast and we'd go to the Good Vibrations to the punk record store in Terry Hooley's Good Vibrations in Belfast. When we're going, you know, you go in and be hilarious. Um, so there's a lot of music around, and then, uh, but we didn't. I didn't. Um, I took my first guitar lessons when I was six, I think. But it was in a group of about ten people, and it was a, a Christian brother was teaching us, and um, he gave us all the guitars, and we were all strumming in a row. And and I got, I was got so frustrated and disappointed, and I came home to my mum, and I said, "And this is not, it's not for me. I, I love it, but I, I can't play it. I just can't play the guitar." And um, it wasn't until about sort of two years later when I was kind of like playing the tennis racket in front of the mirror to the Boomtown Rats that I realized I was left-handed and he'd been teaching everybody right-handed. And that happened. I didn't know. So, but when I started playing this, it was like, oh. So then, um, and then, I, you know, I'd just be writing songs, you know, mowing the lawn or whatever. I thought everybody just did that. That's what you did. And then I started, didn't really actually really start playing until I was about 15 or 16, playing guitar. Really didn't, because of that, that happened. And then when we, we moved to Dublin when I was 10 in 1980. Um, so that was a big move just to kind of, you know, uh, the troubles were still in full swing. And my older sister and brother were kind of heading towards their teenage years where they might be going to them, maybe going to pubs or, you know, and at that point, you know, bombs were going off in pubs and um, just things like, you know, so, and just the quality of life was, was very, uh, you know, because of the, the troubles that, you know, obviously culture was taking a took a major hit, you know. Um, and then 60 miles down the road in Dublin is just, you know, it's a different story, you know, to, to, a, to a large extent. Was that something that your family kind of made that conscious move? Like, was it something your family, you see, your parents said, OK, we don't want to be in amongst this kind of um, unpredictable life where tragedy can strike at any moment and let's go. Was it kind of a yeah. better life for you guys then? That's exactly what it was. It was the best move, best move we ever made at that time. You know, it, it was, um, it was, it was, uh, yeah, no, it, it was, yeah, all those reasons. I mean, my, my dad was a, was, was a vet. He was like the veterinary surgeon in Newry in a practice of two or three vets. So he would be out, you know, doing calls at, you know, 3 a.m. Like, you know, like calving cows in, in Cross McGlen, you know, sniper at work. And, you know, and, and so we stopped by the police, you know, like in the army, you know, in the middle of the night kind of stuff you know so looking back on it but it all becomes normalized i mean we would go to school and pretty much every morning you know we have to go to the checkpoint you know so you're going to school and there's an 18 year old british soldier you know pointing a gun in basically at your mother's head asking her where she's going where she's coming from every morning and you think this is great because you're like oh it's a big soldier you know five years of age and so you, these things sort of become normal but they're not normal anyway so that, so anyway, listen, we had a fantastic time and, and we had a great childhood there and we loved it and it was brilliant. And, you know, we, we, we would go to Dublin a lot and we were able to go to London a bit and we had friends there, parents and friends. So, um, but yeah, so it was, we moved to Dublin with 10 and then uh, Peter, um, he was a total mod. He was like mods, mods mayday, quadrophenia all the way. My, my, my brother was a big mod as well. Yeah, was he? fantastic loved it oh my god i always remember my brother was a good artist and he used to have all the mods the who he was like the who the jam the style council quadrophenia but he, he would have these murals on the bedroom wall 
So I grew up with all of these like guys in parkas, scooters, and my brother had the scooters. He bought them in England and brought them home. It was crazy, crazy. All oh, right, yeah. And at what age? What age was your brother? Was he what age was he like? Eight to nineteen. Well, he he was five years older than me, so let's say he was probably eighteen, nineteen, and I was maybe thirteen, fourteen. So you know, you're you're influenced by this, and I remember listening to the music and growing to love it and everything. You know. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, me too. Amazing music, amazing. and then kind of all the sort of you know like all the the Tamil Motown stuff in the northern soul, which was a big part of that. So that was all, and you know, and like specials were. You had some of the Irish bands who kind of had that with the blades, you know, with that kind of mod feel. Yeah, amazing band, amazing band. Yeah, yeah. I, Nine so, below so, zero, all of these bands. Yeah, yeah. P- Peter Peter's band, he's even a great band, mod band, and they were called Instant Party, which is the B side of it. Instant Party, music. okay. And they used to support the Blades, so I used to go and see them, like, you know, when I was 12, 13, we used to, you know, and they used to support them in places like, like the CIE Hall on Buffalo Cone Street. Wow. Um, <laughs> and it was full of mods in the afternoon. It was just, like, hilarious. Um, but, you know, like, fantastic to be able to sort of experience that and see it. And it, it, they were really good. And, and they, um, because there weren't any, there, there weren't too many really great Irish mod bands. And they were, no. the whole, they, they, all, they all kind of, um, you know, kind of grabbed onto them, you know. So they, they were getting good audiences and they were really good and lots of um lot lots of uh Rickenbacker windmills and that kind of stuff going Would on. Would you, you know? say then that Peter is still a mod or he, he Oh yeah kind of, definitely that mod the influence they, came into the music. They never changed. They're always the same. Like I a good friend from school and Jimmy Smith, an amazing guy, James, same thing the mod and he's still you know he's still a mod, still in the Fred Perry. Still, still a mod. Everything. And and, well, and always the best clothes and everything, you know. The whole job, yeah. And then I mean, I loved all that, but then I was like, the music that hit me first was all like, like with like craft work and you know, like all the new romantics of Japan and like you know, like um, the early Human League stuff and you know, OMD and I loved all of that craft work. I was like, just amazing. And then I really, really, and then I sort of leaned on from that. Then on the, you know the, the post punk stuff was was really, but I loved to like prefab sprite, you know. Talk talk, just some of just the most amazing bands, and they 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 were the ones that kind of really kind of resonated with me, and and um you know you kind of make your own, and I think they that kind of I think informed a lot of my sort of uh, songwriting when when I started, because it all happened pretty quickly, really. Peter Peter started, and then after that, Peter would play another band, and you know he was always very encouraging. He would let me come and play with them, and I would come and you know like play or or you know play guitar or just um, and then I think. Um, I just then I just started to I guess just put the songs down that I was always hearing you know, in my head and so I put them down and then I people seem to like <laughs> like those and you know you kind of feel like you've got something like, like this is what you're supposed to be doing you know a, and that, that was that yeah and then we went to um, I went to Trinity for a year and during that year we kind of basically just made like an eight song tape you know gone into a studio called STS, uh, as you know, as they say in Spinal Tap, you know, don't look for it, it's not there anymore. And, um, you know, so <laughs> um, in Temple Bar, which is an amazing studio, where UT used to record there, it was a total secret weapon little studio upstairs, brilliant studio. Anyway, and then, yeah, so that was that. And then we sent some tapes to England and tumbleweeds, nothing, because it was all, it was all Happy Mondays or whatever was happening at the time. And then, but a couple of Americans got hold of the tapes and then, just everything kind of just kind of went to just broke open for us and kind of joined the circus. That was it. 
Yeah, and it, it's funny, isn't it, that how, you know, we look at the Cranberries, for example, as being uh, that example of be finding it hard to make it in your own country and then somebody in America discovering you and all of a sudden then everybody's, oh, they're Irish, they're a great band and all of this. But you you guys had something similar, but maybe more low key, didn't you? Yeah. Obviously, you got a lot of college airplay, and then you started getting more uh, sync work and you know TV work and stuff like that. But it was maybe a little slower build, was it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, we like we did we did a lot of touring every all over America. We toured like you know we did every club from the you know sticky carpet club you know to the theaters to you know, Red Rocks or Madison Square Gardens or you name it. Like we played every, we played every venue in America, every town, every college town, you know, um, you know, like with our first tour was like 18 months. Like we didn't stop. Yeah, that's a long tour. It's just uh, all over America, North America, Canada, second album, same thing. And it was amazing, you know, just to, to, to you, know, you live like 10 lives doing that stuff, you know. Of course. And uh, do you believe that, Maybe it's different now, but do you believe that time that college radio was something that really helped bands a lot? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it did. Yeah, because um, it was kind of where where music was broken. Really, you know, started college radio and then go on to. They were your audience, really, in a lot of those towns. Yeah, right? yeah, a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, and and um, uh, it was incredible. I mean, the, the, you know, it's hard to explain to people. You know, um. But like amazing, and like a lot of times a three piece. Like we played like Madison Square Garden is a three piece, um, which which I, I, I'm flick, I was inflicting my guitar playing on twenty thousand people a night. Yeah, but see, I think what it is, you have a distinctive style of guitar playing because it's kind of um, it's how would I put it? It's it's not in your face. It's more subdued. But then there's moments when it comes out and it really shines. Like so, it's it's more like that vehicle for your voice. But then, you know, you have these lovely moments when you have these like guitar solos and, you know, they're not guitar solos, like big shredding solos or anything. But the thing is, you have this lovely style of playing that comes out and it really fits with the backbeat and the bass and everything. And, and I suppose through later albums, like, you know, for me as a Devlin's fan listening. Thank you. The, um, some of the keyboards and the orchestration really added to that. Then. Yeah, you know, I, th I think. That's, you know the importance of a, of a good producer as well it's really 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 key i think you know it's just that if you get the right person you know you, if you trust them and you just kind of let them just do their thing and you kind of have to go with it you know well you don't have to go with it but if you've chosen the right person you know you go with it yeah like our first record that we did in we did we started in dublin and then we, we did it in the first half in dublin and then the second half at, at daniel lanois studio in new orleans with malcolm Byrne. well daniel was around a lot and he kind of helped mix it as well and then uh which was which is a fantastic experience kind of you know coming from you know the white boys from you know pasty white guys from yeah yeah you know bog tans yeah exactly and then, and then yeah pat's milan look what's happening and uh, yeah yeah uh, so that was kind of incredible though you know to, to be there and to, i think that kind of gave us a really good kind of grounding and in, in rhythm and you know to your point of all that which is so different from you know it's kind of there's a deeper groove there you know it's a quite interesting thing the irish musician and the irish poet or the irish actor sometimes you know countries kind of make fun of the brogue and all this kind of the way we are but i think once we start kind of 
showing our skill or our art, it kind of leaves people a little mesmerized because they're like going, how does this simple Jackine, Ladine, whatever you want to call them, come out with this amazing, profound, deep words and our deep passion as well? And like, you know, you only have to look at how many scholars, saints, musicians from Ireland, we can really turn it on in a funny way that's like magic. Yeah, it's true. And they, they are, and, and you said the right word, they're sometimes, they're, they're mesmerized. If you do. Yeah. Right. Like, where's this coming from? It's coming from a deeper place that, that, that is there in all of us, but you just, you know, you, you have to access it. It's, you know, it's there because of our history and, and it's in our DNA and you don't, you can't, you know, who can put a finger on it? You can't, I don't know. I mean, but they, it, but no, but it's a very good point you're making because I can see that you can, Turn it on, you see, when you want to. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> see, I wouldn't know, but maybe yeah. you know. I, you, you know what I mean? We can only see it in others, maybe. We don't see it in ourselves. Yeah, I don't know. I, You know, for me personally, I just, uh, you just try and access it. You do the best you can. I don't know. You, you don't, and some people like it, some people don't. I don't know. You know, you, you I mean, you always, I mean, you kind of always want to, ch- not change things, but you're always you're always striving to 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 write better songs and do better things and not write the same song because that's the thing I think for artists is um, they can write like version yeah. two point of a song and they're like someone else might say oh but that first song was so good it's brilliant you have another version and you're like no because even though it might sound different to you it's too much like the other and. I want to take it somewhere else. So I think a lot of artists have songs stashed away that are probably amazing, but they're too similar for, you know, like I I remember once reading about Prince and he said, oh, I could write 500 songs, but only two of them are good. And whereas for some artists, 20 of them might be good, but it's all that subjective feeling. And if if you're not happy with it as an artist, it might never see the light of day. Yeah, no, it's that's like that's so true. It, it's so true because if you well, once you start kind of going down that road of of trying to sort of you know please the crowd, you just you're doomed. As an artist, you're just you're doomed because I think if people really appreciate you or your art or your music, they'll go with it. If they if they you know what I mean, they'll, they'll go. It's okay. This this is where this is where this person's journey is taking them right now. You know, like Bowie's the ultimate example of that. You know, of of changing. You know almost every record but but for a reason not just you know like it's because that's just artistically where where he wanted to go at that time you know it's kind of amazing you know yeah i remember seeing prince and and um, in, in the pod in dublin after one of the shows and they were like you know he didn't come on to like 3 a.m there's 100 people there just phenomenal you know and then the, and the bono, uh, bono got up and sang the cross forgot the words of course <laughs> but as as bono does he's fantastic he just kind of rolls with it you know you know just he, he, he just started making up a second, third verse. He, you know, in fairness to him, it was three a.m. and he'd probably been, you know, probably had a few. Everyone was waiting for Prince to arrive for a long time. He he has that character, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, those, but those are the magic moments, aren't they? I mean, those are the, and I, I think, I think in in you know those okay. kind of smaller yeah. clubs as well, even Vicar Street. I mean, you know, some of those clubs and everything. I, I remember I saw you guys a couple of times. I saw you in Vicker Street and I saw you in Cuba and Galway. You played there a few times. Oh right, yeah, good luck. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I actually spoke to you and Peter in Cuba, I remember years ago. Oh okay. Yeah, but it, it was a long time ago. But I remember um but I remember those gigs even you had in Cuba and Galway. 
And you know, obviously, Vicker Street were is a, were amazing gigs too. But but those gigs as well in those small venues can be very magical. You know, they're just like oh, yeah. you just catch, and you, you could be a hundred or five hundred like, people there. But sometimes the band just catches that vibe, and the people roll with it. And it's like surfing, surfing music. You know, it's kind of just you're there, and you don't want it to end. No, that's it, and and that's 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 when that's when the gigs are great. It's like when when you know when you're just you're it's like you're, it's a moment, and you all know it's a moment, and, and it will never it'll never be captured again. It's just it is that moment that 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 that, and that's why people I think want to go back to see you again, or because they're 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 moved. You know, I mean, and if you if you're not if you're not creating that in a gig, sort of wasting your time. I think because you can learn all the chords and have every all the sound down, and everything can be perfect, but unless you Unless something else happens, something extra happens, uh, and that's 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 where that's where uh, um, that's where it's amazing. And you know, sometimes it can just be the quietest thing. It doesn't have to be. It's not like it has to be. You know, like a loud bang over the head. It can be. It can be the very simple quiet moment that is the best. Or you know, well, th- that's the great thing about music, isn't it? Because you can go and see. You know, I love all types. I love rock music, and I'm a big Metallica fan. But I can I can experience that in its own right. But then I can, you know, I, like, it'd be weird. I'd be saying to people, say, they'd say, who do you like? And I'd say, well, I love the Devlins and I love Metallic. And they go, they're a bit different. And I'd say, yeah, but they are to you. But to me, they're not because I see similar traits in the way the melody. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I think that's what, when, when you like different artists, you, like, I've, I'm a huge Waterboys fan for years. And then you kind of go, Waterboys, Metallica, Devlins. But it's all in betweens, isn't it? Because... There are things I can see in Mike Scott's compositional and his melody, and then I could see in your writing, or I could see in James Hetfield's. So there's things you grab onto, and it doesn't matter the style of music. It could be traditional, but you grab onto those, and that's where the beauty of like having an open mind and listening to everything is. Yeah, and that's amazing to hear. It's so great to hear that, you know, because that's that's ultimately what it is. Because like we're not boxed into these radio formats, you know, of like you know we like this, we like this. That's just a that's just a construct of of you know commercialism you know because so when music started they, you know all you know I mean, not music started when it started when you know popular music as we know it's you know like in the fifties or sixties you know the radio stations were totally eclectic eh? you know everyone's you know final collections were just like what you say that's it's just it's like it's a mood like what mood am I like I'm in the mood for you know. Or the black album, I'm yeah, that right now, or I want to hear something. You know, it's just it's yeah, totally yeah, moods, yeah, you know? yeah. And um, same thing like those Waterboys records are are amazing. I mean, I mean I, I, this is the sea. I think is is still my favorite. I, mean, I love all the later ones too. Uh, the one that it, that got me into the Waterboys was the Room to Roam album, which was kind of produced in Connemara and stuff, and. And that that was the one I got into, and uh, yeah, yeah. But then, of course, you discovered this is the sea, and you go backwards. But it, for me, that album was kind of like, oh my god, they're doing like folk Irish rock, and then some are rock, and some are very traditional raggle taggle jib. And you're like, this is a crazy record because I love every song, and you you kind of um, you know, like I remember buying that on cassette, and you put it in, and you hear like kind of this distant Irish shore kind of mythical and then you hear this folk rock song that's kind of like levelers or that kind of style and then you're like wow this record's going a lot of places yeah I like Fisherman's Blues like that you know yeah I, I, was, I, 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 will, I will I will cry when you go away is it a song yeah 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 it's just so beautiful um yeah I remember but then like 
you know, just it like band members and, and people, you know, collaborating together. Like this is the C that record is so it's so special because Carl Wallinger is, is you know is on it and it, like all those like the keyboard sounds and yeah, yeah it's all him. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. and his like World Party were amazing. I remember we went we went to his his his, his uh, studio in London, which is in the middle of it's called Seaview Studios. Or it was I don't know if it's still there, but it's called Seaview Studios, and it, it, it's a in the middle of an industrial estate, which I thought was fantastic. CV Studios. And anyway, um, <laughs> just you don't see nothing. But anyway, so it, it was classic, yeah. Because I was like, oh great, can we go CV Studios? Where is it? It's like it was like you know, like the Long Mile Road kind of vibe. And um, uh, because we were talking about producing our second album actually, but uh, so uh, but it just turned into like a Beatles session, you know, where you just play Beatles songs all night and we kind of said it, you know, I'm. I'm Feel like I'm trapped in the in the, in the Beatles cage. I, I can't get out. Um, but an amazing guy, and like that. We're, we're that's goodbye Jumbo Records. Just like that was very influential. I think on on on, on us as well. With the Waterboys over the years, they've had different musicians and you know different art, different members coming and going. So it, it creates different sounds, doesn't it? Because some bands use. For example, the same musicians and session musicians that go back to them, and they might have different songs, but then there's a vein that runs through it. But with the Waterboys, I think the vein was Mike Scott's songwriting, and still is. But the, the musicians change, and you know he kind of falls into a, a a niche at that moment, whether it's more traditional or it's you know. And so, it it, it I think you know there's bands. I always think there's bands from Ireland that were influential in their own way you know and and i would include the devlins in that too because yeah yeah the the thing about it is the sounds that you took from all that craft work and the you know the orchestral maneuvers in the dark omd whatever that sound then you made into your own so when you hear how thin lizzy did versions of rock irish rock and other bands around the world were like what's this so i think there's been certain bands like the cranberries the devlins thin lizzy even though the Waterboys aren't Irish, we like to think of them as very Irish the way they, you know. Yeah, that like and Fisherman's Blues, amazing record, and just um, yeah, you know, it's 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 um, it's it, it's a funny one because um, you know, we we had made four records and then you know I just felt like a change and you know and, you know made a couple of solo records which I'm really proud of as well um, and uh, you know you so the point you just follow artistically kind of where you want to go and um but i gotta say i'm really excited about about um making this new devils record i think it's gonna be great and i've written some really good songs for it you know with the new record and obviously the songs you've written for it do you think that the influence of your solo career and obviously producing with working with other artists and do you think that's how has an effect on the new record too and obviously you know because i know peter kind of did a lot of electronic music and he was working in different realms and remixes and stuff. So I'm sure all of that will have an effect on the new record and recording, won't it? I, I kind of feel like I want it to be... Songwriting is pretty traditional, I think, but I want it to feel very modern. I, I, don't, know, I, don't, want it to, I don't want to go down the road of like loops and all that kind of stuff. I think I just want it just to be very organic because that's the way the songs were written, I think. So we'll just have to see how it turns out. But I think, it, I, I, you know, I, that's, how, that's how I... F- feel i want it to be but that may change but and it's been a while since we've we've, we've made one so and it's just also something that uh that i think would be great to tour live and 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 and, and, and uh, but our you know because it's been a long time since we made a record so i think it's um something that feels 
that uh, is relevant to us to, and to me now and in, and in the hope that it is relevant to other people as well I think you know I suppose this year would be kind of like the 20 year anniversary no from your first EP I suppose so yeah yeah probably so it's a good time we should we should we should yeah. get, it, get it going yeah yeah that, that's a good um, that, that's a great landmark that 20 years no it is yeah yeah um fantastic yeah you know so it's um I am sort of generally sort of really looking forward to that and 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 um I just really I really miss playing I mean I play some shows in LA solo shows which are great but you really miss playing and sometimes I play with with people here as well obviously but um it'll be good fun to to uh to kind of um see see to create something that feels that we're we're excited about and to you know want people to hear and, and uh, so kind of really looking forward to that. Can I ask you then obviously as the band the Devlins because you you two guys were brothers and then you had the other members was was that something where the dynamics of the band and the personalities and the egos and everything that was always easy to do or was it something that kind of felt like you know you were even though the other guys were in the band you were like the executive directors how did you kind of manage all the personalities in the band really i mean the the first sort of you know, for the for the first record and the second record, um, it was really Peter and myself, and then uh, Sean Devitt was Sean was our drummer, and um, Sean's from Dublin, and Sean was actually the engineer when when we went in to do our first session. Then I ended up getting this our record deal with, with Capitol Records in LA, um, and we just loved Sean. I mean, we we literally we were going in and we were going to just use drum machines, and Sean was like, "Listen, guys, I'm a drummer. If you if you want," and we're like, "Okay," so we were like. That's how we started playing with Sean and Niall, um, Herbie Mackin, Herbie was our keyboard player and who's from Cork and uh, who's um, just an amazing guy and um, uh, very soulful and was very in tune with me and tune, in tune with my songwriting um, and was always very positive and just added a great vibe to, to what we were doing and came up with some you know, beautiful uh, keyboard parts and uh, that really, really helped, you know, uh, and sort of help create the sound and what we we're doing. So we kind of the four of us were that that's what we you know we toured for a long time. And then when we there, you know, we, we kind of the downtime kind of after our second record for the second, third record. And then Sean had kind of moved on to other things and Herbie was kind of starting to produce records and doing his own thing. And that's and then we just kind of uh, we, we met Guy. I'd seen Guy play or Guy Rickery, our drummer. I'd seen Guy play with Van Morrison and uh, just thought he was amazing. And he's kind of a jazz, like he's from a jazz background, like he's a jazz drummer. Uh, so he has the Charlie Watts vibe. And uh, he's just fantastic. So he rocks and rolls at the same time, and uh, which is a which you know which is what you what you need. And then Mark Murphy, uh, I know Mark um, since we were kids um, and we're friends, and he has an amazing sensibility. And again, he's very in tune with with uh, who you know his own uh, vibe, and he's just so talented in terms of and his guitar playing is amazing and the sound that he gets and he does a lot of um like movie soundtracks and sound design and all that kind of stuff so i think what he brings to it as well is is is, is um is he is uh it's just is fantastic and also so when when so say like when we're playing live and mark won't be playing stuff that maybe i'd played on a record or you know i i like i don't know i never have to think about it but i don't mind what mark plays because i know it's going to be great and soulful so which which is yeah, which 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 you don't always have actually, because you know there were a few times maybe where 
uh, like we've got a couple of players there in LA, you know, like session players maybe for tours, and like a couple of guitar players, or whatever. And they're 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 all fine, they're okay. But but it, it's it's the great thing about the four of us together is that we don't even have to think. We just we're we're a band. So even the name of the band was the Devils, but people just started calling us that because we didn't have a name. So when we made a tape, they started calling us the Devils, and that's really just okay how it stuck. It wasn't like a big master plan. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there really are four people in the band, and and and, and it's so we, you know, maybe we should change the name. I don't know, but uh, but it's like the, no, no, no. <laughs> but that's answered your question basically, and it's a good question. Like you don't. So it, it, sorry, I didn't really answer your question. Um, I don't think it ever felt like that for us. You know, I don't. But it might have for the for the lads, but I don't think so because I mean, we we never made them feel like that. Um, it's just the way that it was. I I think. Peter and myself have just always been a great team in terms of we ha- we have different strengths, you know, and uh, that when together are and when they work well work well together, and we, we love making music and playing together, and we're good friends as well. So yeah, but it's like any relationship, you know, there's ups and downs, and and it's not easy, you know. Of course, as people get older, they change and things change and situations change. So, but I I think in any group like that, there's there there's a backbone of the group. The great thing, I suppose, about it is, is that, you know, the nucleus of the group is probably you and Peter because you have been together all your lives. It's like I, I always remember that famous question Donna Ayer asked the cores. How did you guys meet? <laughs> exactly. We used to get that a lot. So someone could ask we you guys that, that question, yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. I, I it, Now, you know, like, um, you know, myself and Mark would chat a lot about songs. and. and and back and forth on that so it's very you know there's everything kind of sh- shifts and changes and um but yeah no, listen you know yeah we, we used to get a lot of that that yeah how did you guys meet <laughs> how would you guys meet yeah it's a, like it's a good question for the devlands but like considering there's two other members there is a, a different answer but for the cores that's kind of a, it was the the well, most well, unin under investigated question ever like she really yeah exactly yeah, well, Sean, Sean Devitt, our original drummer, Sean, was older than us, you know, and he was older than yeah. us, and uh, like 10 years older than us, and um, so sometimes we play as a three-piece or whatever, and then you get, you know, sometimes you'd be in America, and you'd be like, oh, you guys are awesome, that's so great, it's so great to have your dad playing drums, you know, <laughs> we used to get a lot, what a lot. Oh, my God. oh, fantastic, <laughs> you guys, Sean would be like, oh, here we go again, poor you know? guy, and so it's like, They'll be like, oh, oh my God. God, that's crazy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and then, you know, he, he's like, he, he's like, look, he's in the crowd, he's in the band and he's like going, oh my God, any chance of meeting any hot girls on this tour is gone now because <laughs> exactly. they're like, his dad is so cute. He's playing drums. He's playing drums. <laughs> yeah, totally. Where's the mother? And there, there, there's probably people going up to him asking, do you mind if we bring your two sons for a drink? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are they 21? <laughs> Oh my God! Are there twenty-one yet? So let's just talk a little about your songwriting, because yeah, as you said there, you had you know started kind of just when you were cutting the lawn or doing things, and before you even probably started playing an instrument. So over the years, then your songwriting, how like what what's the process, and how has it changed? I can't stop it. I can't turn it off. Like I can't turn it off. Like I I had to get out of bed last night. I, whatever and go to the studio and, and try and finish yourself because i'm sitting in bed like and i can't sleep so i'm like fuck it's like okay i gotta get up and, and go and i still have to go up at six to bring the kids to school so like i don't know like really? um, 
you tell me. I don't know. Like basically, I just have to. I I, I have to write songs. I I I. I like, is it a melody in your head, or do you? Is it more? It comes to you when you have an instrument in your hands. No, it's just mel. It's me- it's me- melodies. It, it, it's it's well, it's both. It's 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 very rarely the words first. For me, it's more more like like melody first, or uh, or and then sort of the 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 tone of the song or the mood of the song, and then maybe the sound of the words, the sound of what you're singing to, to whatever melody. Then I I try and make things sound good. You no, know, a lot of times when it sounds good, it just it works right because it just works, and then it it's okay sometimes when it doesn't make sense as well. Sometimes everyone's always trying to be a genius all the time, and sometimes I think it's okay just to be like actually I don't mean I don't mean lazy songwriter. I mean just like I don't need to write another verse here because that verse works here, or do I need to change the chords, or do I need a bridge in this song, or and then sometimes I, I think it you know. You can you can fall into the trap of like as you get older, where it becomes so much harder to 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 to, to, to lyrically make it make sense, or you know there just are no rules. You know, like some songs you feel like need a proper story in the beginning and an end, and a, and a mood and and a, and imagery, and then other songs you, you 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 try and put all that into the song, but then the song sort of fights back and says, "I don't need that. Actually, I just need like I just need leave me alone." Yeah. Some songs have this channel where they're running and then other songs want to go in different directions. And and I, I think even for songwriters, when people say, what's that song about? And they're like, eh. And then, you know, they're like, well, it depends because it can, can be about different things. And I, I know some artists kind of come out with the question for the interviews. What's it about for you? You know, because that's the beauty of music, isn't it? It doesn't matter what it means to one person it's what it means to you or to another person so you know i always remember that famous interview where um dave fanning was interviewing lou reed and he said to him i get this impression from your song that this song it means like this and that you're trying to say this and lou reed said no no i'm i'm saying this or whatever i'm trying i'm not really sure but i'm saying this and and dave fanning kind of goes yeah but i feel it and he says i fucking wrote the song i think i know what it means (laughs) (laughs) And you can't argue with that because sometimes there is a real meaning, but sometimes maybe even the artist is not sure because it's a very profound thing or surreal. It's it's kind of there's words there, but you're like, I'm not sure. Is it about that? That's it. I mean, sometimes you know, like you you know, look at that. You know, sort of those a lot of those great Van Morrison songs, just like stream of consciousness. I mean, he's he's just tapping into something, and he doesn't know himself. He's just tapping into it, and he right, and he's able to. He's able to write it down and articulate it in a very fast way, or you know, or it's like um, you know, like um, like Matt Chamberlain, the drummer uh, friend of ours, and Matt played has played drums on um some Devon's tracks and my two solo records, and he's like an amazing drummer, um, yeah, great drummer, and uh, he was doing um a record for he was he was doing the record uh with Elton John playing drums. It was like a really stripped down record. And it's the one where where the um Robert Downey Jr.'s in the video. Remember that one? It's like I'm not or whatever, I can't remember. It, but a cool great song, I see. Really good record. Yeah, and I think um, I do, yeah. Probably like ten years ago, maybe 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 more, you know. I remember saying it's like no, it's like this come in and it's like there's no messing around. Like basically you're what's it Bernie Taupin faxes over or emails over, whatever he does, the lyrics. And if it's not working in like twenty minutes, half an hour, just ditches it gone like it's like those songs are written in a very short space of time there's lyrics in front of them and if it connects with something or if it doesn't it's like binned so these classic songs that everyone knows 
you know, in their being, you know, um, were, you know, were written in, in a very short space of time. I mean, it's all of the career into that and the talent and the thing, but it's just, you know, so you, you, that's just going with your gut, I guess, and what's happening and, you know. Yeah, I, I think those songs come out. They just like, they, they come out and, and maybe, you know, I've heard other songwriters say, oh, well, you know, like it's when, when it comes time to picking singles or what's a good song or what's a bad song, they have different ideas and the record company might say, no, that's a good song. Our producer might say, no, no, that's the one you have to go with. Because when you get so invested in them, there's that personal bias, like we said earlier, where you're like, I feel that's a strong contender for the first single. But then if you did a focus group or other people brought them in and listened, they're like, no, no, the fifth song is the one. And you're like, I didn't, I don't see that. That's it. That's it. And it, and, and, and it's not because the record record companies will normally go for the jingle. Yeah. Jingle yeah. It's like, you know, like that's, that's up tempo, right? That's like, because they send us the radio promoter and the radio promoter goes, this is going to fit in this format. So it's just like every time, every time, every time. And the, like invariably nine times out of 10, that's not the song. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at, look at like the song waiting. That was just in my head because I was just thinking, I think for me. It's, there is no chorus to the song. There's no, there's like it doesn't have a chorus, but it, or or even verses. It just has like it's just this thing. But 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 it 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 it's like in the focus group. We we love that one. Why I don't know. Just but it has that feel, and I I think for me that was the first Devlin song that got me into Devlin because I you know it's like I I I wasn't with, with a lot of groups like that. I didn't come in. I wasn't at the door waiting for the band when they brought their first album out. I kind of found them. You know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I heard waiting and it was like, I was like, wow, this is so simple, but it's so incredible. It's like, it's like kind of hearing a Bob Dylan song that's been produced by a kind of more mainstream artist. Like it's just has a different feel. But like you said, no chorus, the song just kind of travels through and you just keep going the same way. But it has such a simple meaning. It's so, it's so simple. It's just brilliant. That's it. It's just a lot. It's a, you know, and, and it, that's it. And, and so, but again, like that's an example of like, um, that song needed a lot of editing in terms of like, well, what do I feel flows, you know, in terms of like, uh, uh, and, um, but you know, to your point, like, and I think that, um, you know, people say, people say radio is less important than it used to be. So I don't know, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not, I don't know. You know, so, um, I think in Ireland, radio is still very strong. It's still, you know, it's, it's still, you know, so. you know, the one thing about waiting always, I think what grabs you is those opening guitar chord progressions. Yeah. It's just that progression just kind of goes back and over and it grabs you. I mean, it just grabs you straight away. And, and then once that has you, then the words come in. You know, it's kind of like, I don't want to compare it to this song, but it's kind of like America, sorry, horse with no name. Yeah. You know, where it has just the two chords. And it just keeps going back through the thing. Dun, 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 dun. It's like that type of song where you feel it, you hear it, and it just keeps yeah. keeps you there, keeps you there. And, and you, you're yeah. not even waiting for a change. No, and funny enough, Jerry Beckley from America, Jerry signed to Blue Land to the record label. He's a lovely guy, an amazing guy. So cool. Like, they still tour. I've seen them play a couple of wow. times, you know. It's amazing because so, these songs, they just play themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, crazy. They're so good. They just like I mean the band's always amazing, but but they go from one song to another, and you go, oh I remember that, I remember that, I remember that song, and you think like you know then and they just their career just like they just took off on a trajectory and they never stopped. And you know all their records were produced by George Martin. 
Oh, wow. I, oh, I didn't know that, actually. You know, like, literally, he didn't produce that much of the Beatles, but after the you know, I mean, he was always doing stuff, but he, he produced those records. Wow. Different sound. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? I mean, to think about that, which became the kind of sound of America. Yeah, it's that melting pot, isn't it? Because, you know, it's, it's like someone tastes a good burrito and they're like, there's something else in here. And they don't know what it is. But like with America, maybe that George Martin influence was there, but you couldn't tell straight away listening to it. Yeah, it's funny. Like his, his, his son, uh, Matt Beckley, Matt's a, a producer in LA, a really nice guy. And um, I was we talking to him about, um, you know, his dad and his songwriting. And, you know, like he goes, he, and it, with the, the uh, Dewey is the other guy in America. There's two, there's, there were three of them. There's two of them now, really, that they, they're all, they've been the, the writers and they, they write and um you know about all these songs and i said like so did they do they do they work together or separate he goes i oh, know it's usually kind of some it's usually separate usually and i said so what he goes, he goes yeah but they just split, split everything it's like the way he explained it to me is like kind of like like some days you buy lunch and some days i'll buy lunch <laughs> you know like basically which is a great philosophy yeah 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 like you wrote that okay great. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll you wrote horse in the name like I'll, here's ventura highway what about that one yeah that's great we just did everything. We're just we're there for each other. Yeah, you know. So it's like yeah, yeah, and and always, always, you know, it's funny, isn't it? How you know those kind of things happen between bands. They have that kind of feeling, but it it works for them, and it, they, it's how other people perceive it. Oh, how do they split things and everything? But I mean, they had such a great catalog of songs, and I think you know, I always feel like they they influence so many other songs and. It's funny because for, for years, you know, I'd been teaching guitar and I'd sit down with kids and you'd, you'd say to them, um, okay, so they'd say, what's an easy song? And you'd say, Drunken Sailor, you know, here's the Drunken Sailor. And a song I don't like with the two, co- two chords back and over. It's like waiting, <laughs> two chords back and over, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you'd be in the middle of it and you'd say, have you ever heard Horse With No Name? <laughs> so you'd go, do you know what has the same chords? Horse with no name. And they're like, who's that? Yeah, yeah. And then you put it on and they're like, oh, that's quite cool. You know? And so it's funny how even lullabies and medleys and sailor songs sometimes get into the mainstream of other songs. But it's those chord progressions we hear that keep bringing us back for more, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's, that's, it is very true. It's like Goite. What's his name? Remember he had dum dum the umpa lumpa music dun, 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 dun. great song oh my god somebody used to know yeah. yeah and that's a great melody and it hooks you it grabs you and then you're kind the of going umpa lumpa dun, dun, dun. you're like oh, is that the umpa yeah. lumpa song so, so yeah. melody is yeah. there it's just it's the way the artist puts it out that you go okay okay that's clever yeah that's true actually nursery rhymes david bowie was always a great man for that so like you know like Sort of, you know, uh, keeping it simple. Um, but yeah, yeah. But but even 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 with David Bowie and the man who sold the world, that baseline, dun 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 dun, so easy. But it makes yeah, it's the song. True, isn't it? Yeah, just amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Is is it the new movie, the Moon Age Daydream one? I'm looking forward to seeing that when it comes out. That, that's going to be interesting. Can I ask you then, just going back to the Devlins a little bit? When your music started kind of getting in, you know, uh, TV shows and obviously on the Batman Forever soundtrack, was that something that like overnight changed things dramatically? Uh, no, because I think we were just kind of in the middle of touring a lot. And, and then 
it just we just started i think the music just seemed to fit really well for this stuff because we just we got a lot of like we did like was a lot of tv shows, a lot of movies, a lot of requests coming in like i i think i guess it just it just seemed to work really well against picture maybe the, the words and the, the melody just sort of like what you're saying is by the vibe so and also it's quite it's quite spacious i think just and i i don't i don't write a lot of words a lot of the time it's just more i think maybe a a mood it's that more like a mood there's, an, there's an emotion there that maybe kind of like works for it works it's not something that that i it's not conscious to me I, you know like a mood yeah 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 and mood is so funny like mood is so key like i'll tell you a funny story whenever um we were doing our first record drift in new orleans and we were in daniel lemon's house as i was saying earlier on and uh, Dan was living upstairs, so we, we we were all set up downstairs in the in the huge living room and big old desk, you know, big Neve desk and all the gear and all that. And instruments everywhere, just amazing, magical kind of time. And we were working on a track called "Alone in the Dark" from our first record, Drift, and um, which is all about just a mood. But sometimes I'd meet Daniel, I'd meet Dan in the in his garden, like during the day at lunchtime or whatever, and he'd be hearing the song all day. So. You know, he'd, he'd know he'd already made a decision and upstairs. Malcolm was producing it, but said Dan would just come downstairs. Oh, what are you doing? What are you working on? Say, listen, oh, I think I, but I used to meet him in the garden. And I was like, what do you think about this one, Dan? He goes, yeah, yeah, I like this one. It's, it's good. Yeah, but you've got this bridge, it's, you know, Americans call it bridge. So you've got this like middle eight bridge section there. And I'd written this beautiful, big flowery, romantic, oh, gonna break everyone's heart bridge <laughs> section. Get rid of it. Well, like, with these like, I don't. Know, I don't think I changed time. I don't think I changed time signature, but definitely like a lot of chords. Like wow, I'm really talented. I, I know all these chords. I go put them all in in a bridge. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's going to be like purple rain. It's going to be like wow. <laughs> it's going to blow people. They're going to think I'm really like really know what I'm doing. And then um, because yeah, you know, and I'd, I'd worked on it for ages. You know, slaved over the lyrics. And I was, you know, you got the big section in the middle there. I don't think you need that because the song is a mood and that breaks the mood. Okay. And he goes. If I was you, right, I would just take it out and try it. Just chop it out and try it about that. So maybe go back in and try that, and um, but just pretend it's your idea. Don't tell Malcolm that I said it, that I told you. Just <laughs> go back and pretend it's your idea. So I went back into the room and listen. I thought that's a great idea. Why don't we just like? I know it's crazy, but let's just chop the whole bridge section out of middle eight, and then the song just like came to life because it it was it, and it became, and it there was no need for it. So it's back to what we were talking about earlier on. It's like sometimes you know the. You just you can't see the wood from the trees where it's just like it doesn't need that the artist as musicians we like to challenge ourselves and not keep doing the same thing and like you said throw in new fancy chords there or new melodies and maybe sometimes you oversaturate the song or you put too much in and sometimes even i find if i was sitting down writing the song that you're like is this two songs do i is that second part the second part of it or you know, is this like a trilogy song or whatever? They work together, but then someone else might say, you don't need that section or whatever. So that's the thing, I suppose. That's the producer's no. job is to is to get rid of the excess. You know, they're like, no, that's good, but you don't need it. Yeah, that's really good, but you don't need it. Exactly, yeah. You don't need it. And how do you write songs? Do you do you write them? Do you normally have melodies? And what do you do? I'm terrible. I'm, I'm like this, uh, you know, I'm a procrastinator with songs because I used to write a lot. I write so I write like every few weeks now, kind of, I might kind of get ideas and I put them down. But the problem is I have so many ideas and, and, and melodies and so many things. And then sometimes I'll say, okay, no, I have to do this song. So I have to finish it today or in this weekend. Um, 
And but I think, yeah, I, I'm like, how will I put it? I, I don't know what kind of I, I think I'm this kind of um, maybe I have a little bit of imposter syndrome with um, with songwriting because I'm I'm kind of like an artist who wants to write music, but I don't necessarily want to put myself out there. So maybe it stops me doing more music, you know, that kind of way. So I don't I, I, I'm not tortured because I'm. You know, I, I'm I'm happy in my own skin, but at times I'm like saying to myself, oh, it's, it's like, for example, I always say with this podcast, I did this podcast to kind of push the music along, but then it became its own entity, right? And then it kind of not, yeah, it, it kind yeah. of stopped the music a little bit because of time and things to do. And then sometimes you're like, oh, I have to get back to more music. So you just don't know the way where your life can take you. But so I can, I, I can write songs really fast. If That's I'm it. in that frame, like really fast. And I always like you have those ideas in my head and That's stuff. Crazy. But then when I find when I'm writing some stuff, I'm kind of like, okay, that's maybe like something else I've done and I'll put it aside. So I don't know. I can't really answer that question. What kind of songwriter am I? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's okay too. But it is, it, it can get harder to get older because you, you kind of like, because you, you, you know, you can default to, to something easily, you know. Yeah, of course. Of course. And and not knowing your style, maybe you have like, you know, it's great listening to all different types of music, but sometimes it's a curse when you're writing songs because you're kind of like, oh, I like rock music. Well, I write rock songs, but then I like folk music. And then you're kind of not sure is the song a folk song because, you know, a lot of songs come from that acoustic kind of guitar or piano, maybe. Yeah. And they start out that way. But then you're not sure will they turn into a bigger song yeah. or a very laid back song. And so the style even can be something different. That's it. And the song kind of determines that, I think, and kind of tells you that towards the end. But, and also being honest as well, it's hard to be honest, you know, it's hard to be, because, you know, and then sort of how honest do you want to be and what do you want to say? And is it uncomfortable or is it, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a thing too. I remember the first song I ever wrote completely was like in 98 or something. I'd written bits and pieces and it was, it just, it kind of like what you said, like that, tap you know you can't turn it off because i it was at a time when my sister i had like a mentally handicapped sister and she died she was like 20 uh, she was 28 and one night i just wrote this song for her and and mm-hmm. i i kind of it was like very emotional and now it's a thing that family gatherings people ask me to play and i don't really like doing it all the time but my sister is always like you have to release that song you have to put it out but then i'm kind of going I don't know, is it me? I don't know, is it my style? Maybe it's for somebody else, you know, that kind of way. And, uh, but maybe it's just, it's too personal to me. Yes, yeah, that's it. That's hard. That's, that's a, and I guess it was cathartic for you at the time. It was something that you... It, oh, of course, you, of course. I mean, you know, that, that word cathartic, like, as you said, it, there's times in your life when you go through stuff and you can write music and they can be amazing, yeah. but then maybe you're not comfortable with them being like out there. And it's, it's something, I mean, for me, I think with that song, if I saw somebody else using it and I, I could do it, but then for me, because I know myself, there's been family gatherings and things like that where I've sang it and it's still very raw, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. Well, I know. And uh, did you ever demo it? Did you ever, or did you ever put a version of it down? Did, did you, have you put it down? To, uh, I, I did. Yeah. I did kind of demos and stuff. Yeah. But I, um, it's then something over the years, I kind of like, oh, maybe she would go in this mood. So it's like that. Um, I, I, it's like the elephant in the room a little, yeah, because yeah. for me, it's like this song. I'm thinking I, it is a good song. I should do something with it. 
but I'm kind of like running around it rather than facing it. <laughs> you know that kind of way? Yeah, I know. And, and probably probably for, for you to hear someone else sing it would, would be different. Would, would be different. It would, would be great, you know. Yeah, of course. Uh, and yeah. and that's the thing. That's the thing. I think I think songs like that, you can write them from a place or you can write them from another thing. But it's yeah, it's it's how they're perceived or how they're delivered as well. You know, I'm sure for you as yeah. well, you've written songs that have been very personal to you and some songs maybe cut to the bone more. But then you learn to perform them without being emotional. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the, the, the thing like you've, you've, you put the emotion into the song at the time and then but if you're performing it, you, you want to do the song justice and just sing the song and, and not and, and just and then also I think even in the studio, like when you've written a song and you've kind of gone through that emotion, sometimes like if something happens on the fly and it's magic and, and it's not perfect, but that's what it is, then that's great. But then sometimes even like when you're recording the song in, in, the, in the studio, you don't need to put that, you know, emotion, emotion into your vocal or the wobble in your voice or because you're all, because it's already in, inherent in the lyric and the song and the chords and the melody and it's already there. You've been through that. And then, you know, cause then, so like you hear people singing a great song in a, in, a, in, a, in a pub, you know, and like, why do songs survive? Why do they survive hundreds of years? You know, of course, because yeah, they have something. It's usually, it's, there's, there's, it's not just like, bubblegum sugar pop that it doesn't last in any you know using songs whether it's you know even well, you know raglan road or but you know exactly i was just going to say raglan road it's one of those for me fields of athen right it's a dark song <laughs> yeah the fields of athen right but but i i think raglan road in the irish psyche it's like all of my kids have had that as a lullaby i've sang that song to them as a lullaby yeah, and it fantastic. works it's amazing. I have a, an eight-month-old baby, and I'll okay. sing him like Baba Black Sheep. I'll sing him, you know, Wheels in the Bus, whatever. But then I'll kind of say, okay, I'll try Raglan Road. And he just loves it oh, that's great. because loves it has it. that melody and that structure, and it's just yeah. so relaxing. And, I, I mean, people in Ireland, it's amazing, that song, how deep it has become ingrained in our psyche, you know? Yeah, that's it. That, and that kind of gets back to the point we were making earlier on about, about, about you know, uh, being Irish and, and sort of, like, you know, the stuff that you, you, you like, e even if it's, um, a, you know, quote unquote, sort of pop music or rock music, or like, um, and you're Irish, it, it's still there. Like, YouTube being the ultimate example, where their music is not traditional music by any means. And they've never really gone down that route. They don't feel comfortable, obviously, going down that route because it didn't, you know, I know, like, the, like the closest probably they got was with, with Clannad, you know, in the song for Harry's Game, which is incredible. But, 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 but in all of their songs, it's there because it's there in the, in the, in, just it's just there you know these inc incredible you know songs you know like uh, and as, as much as they're influenced by american culture say you know from joshua tree or whatever or european culture on on you know acton bay or you know whatever it's still it, it's still inherently um, irish because that's who they are because it's just there and they they it, 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 it you know i remember uh when they were recording acton baby you know that they went to the house in Dalkey. We went, Joe O'Hurley, you know, you two sound guy, Joe brought us in to have a look. The, the, the lads were off for a holiday or taking a weekend or whatever. And um, I remember going in and just, it was just incredible to, to, to see, to like, wow, I'm actually in the room where you two are recording. You know, we were 19, 20, and nights and that, we'd going in, like, you know, and doing so. I mean, it's such a vivid memory of like going downstairs in the basement and there were, there, Larry was doing the recording, the, the drum setup was downstairs. I mean, there must have been like, 
50 snares on the wall, you know. And Joe was just saying, yeah, we've been searching for a long time to get the right snare sound, the right snare for this record, you know. And um, and then, because actually, we, we know, and it's an incredible snare sound, it's a very modern snare sound. It didn't sound like the snare sounds they had on Joshua Tree or Unforgettable Fire. It's, it's you know, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's everything and nothing, if you know what I mean. It, it, it's incredible. Yeah, no, and and he has that style where it's minimalistic a little bit. You yeah, know what I mean? and, and, he's not he he's not that he's not like he doesn't do big technical fills like some drummers, but it's just laid back and he go. It's really good. Yeah, it's amazing, and and um, you know, and and, and uh, you know, seeing like my buddy Valentine record upstairs, and you know, you know, just like being in the space was 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 kind of uh, as a young you know sort of artist like young musicians just starting out it was it was quite incredible and then to kind of get to know them later on you know as sort of friends or people is amazing because they're just incredible people you know really nice like just i mean i think what happens in that respect is you know you they have a persona that the public see but then when you probably get to know them it's all you see them as musicians as as similar artists and you see their struggles and the things they've gone through and writing song and like it's like this conversation you know songwriters musicians artists it doesn't matter if you're successful not successful multi-millionaires poor man it doesn't matter when you sit down to talk about music it's the same thing isn't it we're all on that same level yeah yeah that, that's it that's it and, and um uh exactly that's it and that's why that's why it's so important that's why it's so so important that you know um but there's so much incredible music you know being made because i think there's less constraints on people in terms of you know before you know it was just you know it was so structured in terms of like you know only a tiny 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 percentage of bands got record deals because it was so expensive to make records and and then that was like that was just a lottery ticket that you hadn't won the lottery just meant you just got a lottery you were able to get a lottery ticket and then you know the whole structure was just crazy you know and when we had started to make our first record it was kind of in, in that sort of golden age of like um the sort of illegal downloading hadn't really happened yet you know just starting to happen and um so basically people were you know buying a piece of plastic for a cd for whatever it was you know 12.99 or, or better the thing that's lost and i know it's coming back now because cds are being bought again and vinyls being bought again and yeah. i know it's kind of seems like a little like Long an art house great, movement yeah. a little bit but because you know i I think at this stage with spotify it's going to be hard to kill that giant i think me personally i think it's something we need to do because i I think spotify like i was even telling my daughter the other day we were talking about playlists and i said i said you know i said when you listen to a playlist there's music in there that some of those are not even real bands they're they're just music created by spotify but if you look up the artists they don't exist so sometimes they're like fillers for these playlists. And, and what it means is Spotify doesn't actually have to pay those artists because there's no artist, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, it's not. Oh, God. So, and that goes on. I, I was looking into that a little bit. So the problem is that Spotify has become this monstrosity. And, you know, there's different streaming platforms have different rates. But in essence, you know, the CD and the record, the vinyl records and the tapes, they allowed artists to make some money. Now it's much it's more difficult. Hard, yeah. So it's good. It's good now that people are um, picking up CDs and vinyl again. And you, like you remember that experience of you get a tape even, you know, and you open oh, it and it's like four I, I, leaves or eight leaves. And you're like, wow, the artwork. And I remember looking, who did this? Who played on that track? Oh, he played on that track. There was so much yeah, information. Amazing. And 
nowadays you have to go to all these different sources to find that. Yeah, it's true. And and uh, oh, listen, I lived with on my my Walkman was like my life. I mean, like just my life. You know, it just it went just into a different world. It was incredible. Um, and yeah, it's great. But it's funny because vinyl is just really just yeah, it's gone way beyond a fad now. It's amazing. It's so great to see. It's like it's it's like every record now is coming. You know, like and that's good. You you, you, you kind of got to bring it out on some vinyl now, and it's really good for like pre-orders as well, which is good for bands. You know. That's the thing I think is really it's a it's a really kind of great thing where yeah and the other thing is just it's all the skipping on Spotify like listen it can be amazing like there has benefits of it in terms of like just as a listener not you know getting paid for them obviously but but you know if you're the rights owner if you own the rights to it and 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 you you know if if you own the rights to your records and you own your publishing you own all that and you have a decent audience you know all the streaming services put together you know it's like it's 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 cents and dollars and all but it kind of it, it's it can be okay it's just that it's just that when everything is owned by somebody else and then you're you know uh, so it but but yeah to your point it's like it's it's much harder like you you yeah yeah of course of course you need to wear like a lot of hats like to to you know like i, I produce records i work with the record company I, I i you know and you know so you have to it's, it's a but if you're if if that's your life, if you're a musician, if that's what you are, or it's like, you know, it's like yourself, like you're a musician at heart, but you find ways to you, you teach or you do podcasts and you find ways you do it. Yeah. And, but it's all like, it's still music related for you, which is fantastic. You know what I mean? That's, that's hard, you know, for anybody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You do what you do to survive. Like the thing is any musician who's been struggling who's tried to make a career but they always will try and find ways in music to make a living to survive and you know not everybody can become a successful band not everybody can I, I, the thing is some of those artists maybe could if but it's a long road and sometimes when to give up and you know as you said family everything comes along but i think if it's meant to be it's meant to be it'll happen you know but it is down to a lot of hard work but that thing you said there about lots of artists now having to juggle all these balls and wear different hats, it's its a lot of work. I mean, you, there's so many things you have to do. Even, you know, even for me doing this podcast, I have to do so many things just to get it out there and promote it and everything. And it's very similar to being a musician. You have to kind of say, OK, so making the music is fun. You know, writing the song is fun. But now I have to do promotion and I have to you know, worry about vinyl. And I have so many things to, to do that obviously the more successful you get there's teams and things but i mean i think people wouldn't do it if it wasn't enjoyable it's all it's a slog but people love it yeah exactly and that's because it's because it's yeah it's self-expression it's you know um for better or for worse you know and i guess i guess that's why there's so many solo artists because they can just they can do it all themselves at home it's cost effective you know that's probably why there's less bands of course of course now i mean it's much easier but i suppose the other thing with that is there's more artists out there it's really oversaturated like you said the 60,000 um, uploads are like new songs every day so it's very hard for artists to be original and to be unique and of course I feel nowadays there's a little I don't want to say plagiarism that's too strong a word but I feel there's a like heavily influenced by other artists and it's good it's good and bad because it's good that these new artists are discovering the older artists but there comes a point, I suppose, where even if they're influenced by one song or sample something, but then you have to find your own feet, don't you? You have to say, okay, this is me now, because maybe that only buys you one hit single. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of pastiche, all right, you know. But I think the really great people, like the really truly truly great people, will 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 get through. I mean, you listen to like like listen to like a voice like Brandy Carlisle's, you know, or like that song, like the joke, like you know, you hear that once, and you're like, I want to hear that again. Like, who the fuck is this? Yeah, yeah. There's some artists really get through. Yeah, you know, and you think, and then you're like, oh my god, that's just incredible. Everything is right. It's just it's like you know, beautiful. So I think it's you know, um, at the end of the day. No, again, it'll always be saying nobody knows anything. Nobody has a clue about anything. No, no, no. We don't know what we don't know. That's kind of the thing, you know? We don't know what's coming. That's basically it. Yeah, and, and isn't, that, isn't that the beauty of it too? That, you know, like, you know, you might switch off tonight and you might, you might, you could write the best song of your life. You, you see, the thing for me always, I'm always inspired when I talk to like artists and musicians and everything, even other people from all other walks of life, because it always gives you that little kind of dig that kind of goes, wow, you know, when people talk about their career and everything, and then it gives you that little dig to kind of say, well, yeah, let's write a song or wow. You know, it's just inspiration. It comes from all sort places. And I always think that when you see how other people have struggled and done their art and perfected their craft, it's a great thing to listen to. And I think for me, you know, whether it's me interviewing you and talking to you and being inspired by stuff you've done and yet to do, but then as me as the host, then the listener can be at home and say, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed that interview, that person. And I love it. I'm going to pick up the guitar and I'm going to write a song. Or I'm gonna, you know, so these are the it's all inspiration. Yeah, it is. And, and, and uh, you know, all sort of, you know, economics aside and all that. If you write a song and you it moves you and you like it and you feel good when you play it, it's already a success. Of course, yeah, of course. I know, I know. People could say, "Oh, that's very you know cliche and that thing," but it's true. No, but I, it's I agree true. with you. Yeah, it's true. It's true. If it gives you a feeling, yeah, it doesn't have to go to number one. It doesn't even have to be released. Maybe nobody has to hear it. It has to be something that does something for you. Yeah. It doesn't have to get out of the room. Yeah. That's something I have to push myself on. I think, but I do think it's good to get it out of your head, at least. Tell us kind of, you know, with the new album coming out, maybe 2023, hopefully, um, are your plans to, you know, um, release it and tour with it straight away? Or what's the kind of, have any ideas what that's going to happen? Yeah, I guess, you know, I really want to tour with it and I want to make something great. I'm not interested in making, trying to, you know, making something average at this point. So I'm going to try and, um, so we're just going to maybe try and find, uh, you know, just exactly when, where we're going to do it. And um, yeah, no, I, I'm, so touring, definitely get it out there and then just um, see what happens with it. But I, but I really want to make something, something, something special. And then, you know, I write a lot of songs. Sometimes I write differently in my head for like a Devlin's record or for myself. So there's, you know, there could be another record following it after that. I don't know. Or, you know, so, but I mean, it's almost, you almost kind of think maybe you should just have like two, six song EPs like or two halves of a record and put them out because who has the time? Yeah. Well, long albums are, are I mean, they're a great thing, but like you said, we're, we're all, we've, everything's become more disposable in the sense that, it's like podcasts, even people say, oh, I listen to half it now, half it again and so on. And music maybe has become like this, too. People want to listen to one or two songs and move on. Then, So it's hard to know. Well, I think, you know, you could release six and then release another six sort of maybe like six months later and then put them both on a, on a, on a vinyl six months after that. Or, or the set, when the second one comes out, put them both on vinyl and that's the album. Or, you know, um, 
I don't know, there's different ways to do it, I suppose. But um, but ho- hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to um, play and do shows and, you know, um, that's, that's, that's the plan anyway. So everyone's cool. We're kind of, we're kind of geared into, we're, we're at least in first gear anyway. We definitely, the clutch has stand. We definitely put the first gear in. So it's definitely happening. But that's exciting. And a, a question that I want to, I just thought of there, but it's, it, for me, I, it's an interesting question is now that you guys haven't played together in a while, you know, as, as the Devlins, the logistics of like doing a tour and everything, do you go back to the same road crew, the same people who like, you know, guitar technicians, the same gear? Like, do you have stuff stored away somewhere that's all the Devlin's gear? Or is it is it like start is it like starting again? Really? Uh, it's a bit of both, really. I think you just kind of suss out what's what feels right. You know, what's what's I mean, I think it's you want to have new, uh, you know, new creative people around you that, that are, you know, doing whatever, you know, um, so it, it really, it really, that, uh, but it's a very good question. So you just kind of go, okay, well, what's, you know, what do we do? You know, because it's been a long time. And, and who's available? Yeah, who's available and, 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 and scheduling and all that kind of stuff. But I guess you just kind of like figure that out as you go along. We did have all, um, we had all our, we, we had all our gear stolen from a lockup in New York. When we did a lot of touring because of the, because of the voltage differences, you know, we, we used to have a, just like basic setups, like amps and guitars, not like a big thing, but we just in lock up in New York, we'd have a, 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 a really lovely AC30 that was there, Vox AC30. And then we'd have whatever I set up at home in, in Dublin. We were planning some shows and then all our stuff got stolen. And weirdly, about two weeks later, I was on the flight from Dublin going to Gatwick on the plane. And then uh, Daniel Lanois gets on the plane, he's sitting beside me. He goes, oh, where are you going? He says, I'm taking a break from you two. They're, they're, you know, they're wrecking my head or whatever. They're in the middle of... Uh, I have enough. Whatever I reckon it yeah. I, I need a break from the lads for a week or two. I said, yeah, yeah, great, great. Where are you going? He said, I'm going to Jamaica. And uh, he said, what would you, what are you doing? Because he said to me, uh, I said, I'm actually going to Jamaica too. <laughs> so we were, we were both going to Jamaica on the flight from Gatwick. Oh, wow. The plane was delayed. So we were stuck in Gatwick for about eight hours. And... Um, so we just got stuck in and we had great crack. And then we were sitting inside each other on the plane over to Jamaica. And it was fantastic. I think we went through almost every record to produce talk about it. Just the most amazing 10 hours of just having a crack. Wow. That was like a really, really interesting journey. It was just amazing. Yeah. Talk about like Bob Dylan records and U2's records. And, you know, like just like, you know, working with Eno and working with, you know, just amazing. Wow. Some were you know, I was going to say somewhere in mid-Atlantic, but that sounded really sad. But basically, anyway, somewhere in the middle of the journey, uh, we got chatting about gear, and I told that all our gear had been stolen. And that's so my AC30 been, been stolen. And he goes, you know what? He goes, Vox did a reissue of 100 of them. About, it was about two or three years before that. They, 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 re, they reissued the AC30, and they made 100 hand-wired ones in the UK. The rest were all made from China after that. But they made these hundred hand-wired ones that were like the plaque in the back of the names and they sent them to people like Brian May, you know, The Edge, um, you know, Jeff Beck, whatever, or people, or people who were yeah, yeah, of, people like, who played, you them. know, made Vox famous or, you know, and they'd given uh, Daniel, Daniel and I said, they, they gave me three and they're at Real World. And he goes, I'm going to give one to you. And, and he did. Wow. And he said, do you want me to fly? Do you want me to, I said, I'm going to make sure it's, the, the tubes are changed and it's flight case for you. It's in the real world. So, do you want me to send it to Dublin? 
I said, no, I'll go and pick it up in Real World because I've never seen Real World. It's Peter Gabriel's studio. And um, and true to his word, I thought he'd forgotten and he rang me about a month later and he goes, I'm really sorry, I hadn't forgotten about it. It's in my diary because I thought maybe we had a few wines and a few, you know, a few beans on the fly. So maybe it was we've gone, you know. Yeah. yeah. He says this to everybody. He says this to everybody. He's trying to get rid of this AC30. And uh, it's, yeah, it's a great line. But he called, he's listening, he's waiting for you. It's there, it's all ready to go. You want to go pick it up? And I did. And it's just beautiful. So, you know. Wow. And it's the same sound, everything. Oh, better than mine. I mean, it was. Wow. I thought, I thought I had a good one, but it blew my, it blew my old one away. So it was really generous, a really nice thing. Like he'd actually sampled, he'd sampled one of our songs from, from that didn't make our first record. It's on his on Daniel on on Landmark's record, the the beauty for Winona, and there's a track on that that what we had a track called Chain and Band, which which never made the record, but it had an amazing drum beat on it, and he sampled that, and and it's on his on his record. Um, so I think it was kind of like a, maybe like a bit of a thank you for that as well. <laughs> yeah, but a great story though yeah. as well. A great story. How a, a plane trip can turn into a really nice gift. Yeah, the one thing I forgot to mention, sorry, because we got sidetracked, was that when we, when we were on all our touring, we were touring in Montreal, and that's how I met Pierre Marchand, who produced Waiting, and and then also um, uh, my two solo records as well. And, and Pierre is based in Montreal, so that's what we ended up spending a lot of time there. And um, it's an amazing, creative city. It's it's you know it's not it's sort of art for art's sake as opposed to art for commerce. Amazing place. But Pierre was 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 very uh, you know important in kind of creating that sound as well for that record because uh, amazing guy to work with and we're 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 still great pals that you know to this day so you know there's a lot of people that you kind of meet along the way that are so important and actually on that first record in Drift the engineer was Dave a guy called Dave Bottrell who had just spent six years in Real World working on the us Peter Gable record he nearly hadn't seen daylight for like six years and kind of came to New Orleans and he had really long hair and came and shaved his head off and and uh, here we go and you know amazing engineer dare i ask or can i ask yeah do you have a producer for the next album like do you have somebody in mind it's confusing really we don't really um but um we're we're just we're it's hard you know, to actually to try and to, to try and get somebody to be honest but we'll we'll figure that out pretty soon i think it won't be self-produced or you won't be getting rick rubin to executive producer <laughs> Yeah, like we could do it. I'll get myself an executive producer. We could do that, but um, Simon, but I, I don't, you know, it's like you can do that, but then it's like you're not maybe going to get that extra thing that someone else that you really respect is going to give you. No, and the other viewpoint. The other viewpoint, just somebody in the room. Like literally, if I said to you, Simon, will you produce the record? If I said to you, you're going to produce the record. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you, you go, okay, all right, cool. And then it'd be more like, okay, it's like, well, I trust your judgment so and i and you're not gonna afraid to say no to or say actually i'm not sure about this and almost that's kind of like just it's just that extra viewpoint in the room it's another opinion yeah i i think just when i mentioned rick rubin there because i you know in the past i've read a lot with rick rubin executive producing and and you hear you hear some people have very bad opinions of it and he just turn up and some people said they couldn't work with them but it's amazing, isn't it? Because when you become that kind of powerful of a producer and you turn up and everybody has done amazing work and you feel like that's it, we have it. And somebody just floats into the room or maybe makes a call and goes, no, no, you have to change all of this. And you have them as the executive producer. Maybe you're like, ah, but maybe you're not really part of the team that's working here on the record. You know, you're just coming in. You don't know what we've put into that. Yeah, well, he's amazing because you see the thing about him is that what he does is, and his thing is that he kind of always seems to ask the artist, well, 
try and think of yourself as the listener. Like, do you really like what you do? You, do you really like what you're making? Like, I know that you put a lot of work into it, and I know that it sounds good. But do you want to listen to it? I think with Rick Rubin, though, it depends on the style of music because, like, with Johnny Cash and yeah, obviously yeah. with the with the rap records and you know the, it all worked very well. But when I read a lot of bands, rock bands like you know Slash, Velvet Revolver, talking about them. Even I know he worked with Metallic and different bands. You don't always hear the best opinions coming from rock bands. So, you know, he is a genius and he is a master yeah. of what he does, but maybe it doesn't come across in all styles. Maybe the bands are like, that's not what we want to do. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of really good podcasts out there with him talking about um, talking about the records and, and uh, you get the impression that, listen, you, you never know with these people. It's like, maybe it's just like, it just didn't work. and whatever but you, you got the impression that i get when i listen to uh, him talk is that it's like unless the artist goes all the way with what he wants what, what 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 he is telling them yeah or what he feels that they need he starts saying well they 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 didn't do what i told them not told them to do what i suggested they did or they didn't commit they didn't commit to what yeah and they can say well like this is what i want and that's okay too so like and but everybody can't get it right all the time. But you look at the, the no. amount of times he has got it right. But I love that he comes in, he lies down on the couch, and he just sits and listens to it. Well, I love that. I think that's brilliant. He has the listener point of view. Exactly, and it's like, do I like this? Do and that's like when I'm producing stuff. That's just what I do. I just said, do I like this? I'm like, am I enjoying this? I'm not. I'm doing it. Let's let's make it something that feels like let's just try something different. Like something's something's just like mm, you know, and then it might be like. I need to change this even like the tempo or I need to change, you know, that different instrument or something or, or um, that, that, that kind of makes it like um, has something, you know, that makes it in some way interesting. And that's hard, actually, you know. Yeah, it is hard. Not easy. When you're a musician and then you step into producer shoes and you're coming from a musician's point of view. So, you know, you're like, there's something different that you want to hear. But for the artists, obviously, some artists can have heavily invested. And like I said, with that personal bias, once again, where they're like, no, no, I think it should be like this. But I think you have to really sit back as an artist and trust the producer. I think some, if you've chosen correctly or if you've, if, if you've chosen somebody that you is sort of, you know, in step with whatever you want to do at that time. Like, again, sorry, referencing Bowie one more time, just because it's so amazing. But yeah, like you talk to like, a lot of the producers that he worked with, you know, uh, whether it's like Nile Rogers or, you know, you know, that, that, uh, or, or even the musicians for records, it'd be like, well, he, he didn't tell me what to do because he'd, he'd chosen them for a reason for what they do. And he just let them do it. Like on that, you know, like on Black Star, like, you know, like, you know, you know, he listened, you know, like Lazarus, just like, was a beautiful track, you know, it's just, it's just there, yeah, exactly right, and it's just like, and, and they're just like they're jazz, and he, like they're you know they're they're like an out there jazz trio playing in the basement, and who had done, who were very, you know so avant garde, and he just spot you know he saw them spotted them, and you know like would they be interested in in, in playing on my record you know kind of thing, and then they just did their thing, so and he no instructions, so it's like he, he knew his genius was that knowing what he wanted and being able to executed correctly there's that influence isn't there? i mean because that's the great thing i think if you it's like with daniel lanois and you know if you 
if you can find a producer, obviously, if you know a producer's worked with artists and he has a great name and he fits your sound and he fits that mold, I think it's going to be great. And, you know, there will be teething moments and things you have to change. And, um, you know, there's so many parts to being a band or being a, a successful band anyway, I suppose. But then a big part is the producer because you have to let them into your world. You have to let them listen to the songs. And as you said there, throw out that middle eight, you know, shorten the song, lengthen the song, whatever it takes. And you just have to be open to that and kind of believe that they know what they're talking about because you have that trust already. But lastly, then sometimes a really great producer will just know just to get out of the way and, and nothing needs to be changed. And that also is a really great producer. Someone says, yeah. I'm not going to, there's nothing needs to be changed there. Or the demo sounds great. Let's let, like, let's just work on the demo. Like, when I say with Rob Gerwin and Hosier, you know. Just do it. Yeah. It's already there. Let's just make this sound great, you know. Yeah, exactly. And um, so, uh, you know, listen, who the fuck knows? I'm going to let you go now, but you're going to do a song first. So all I want to say is, you know, it's been brilliant having you on the show. I've been looking forward to having you on the show for a long time. Some great insights into your world of music and, and the world kind of you move around in. And it's lovely to hear some of the backstories about, you know, the Devlins and, and the, the albums and the songs and everything. So I want to wish you the best of luck in the future. And we'll be eagerly anticipating, you know, the album. And even my daughter said to me the other day, she said, uh, she said, oh, uh, who are you interviewing tonight, Dad? And I said, uh, Colin Devlin. She went, oh, Colin Devlin, he's famous. And I said, well, yeah, I said, he is famous. Yeah. And she was like, because see, my kids hear all this music in my car and they've heard it all these years. And they can be listening to Metallica, Megadeth, the Devlins. Um, Enya, everything we have everything on it, and uh, yeah, they just the the great thing is it's been like this introduction to music for them. They see the name the Devlins and they see consent and they see waiting and this, and it's part of their childhood now. So you know, it's I always say to my wife, it's going to be a wonderful thing in the future when my daughter or son is in a club and a song comes on and she goes. Oh my God, this is one of my favorite songs. And what she really means, I've listened to it all those years in the car. And I think the Devlins are going to be part of that. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? Of course. Well, it's great to have a new generation, Simon, isn't it? Get, get them, get them, get them started. You know. uh, listen, thanks a million. It's been a fantastic chat and uh, a real pleasure. So really thanks. nice. Thank you. And what song are you going to play for us? Well, I thought, because I think about this morning, I think because of the, the, the current state of the world, I think I'll do um I'll do a song called called Heaven's Wall. Can you tell us a little bit about Heaven's Wall? I mean, was it something that came easily or? Yeah, it was, it, I wrote this one pretty quick. I think um just wrote it in Dublin, uh pretty quick. I think we just it's it's on it's on the waiting album, and um, I think it's kind of like it's like an acoustic guitar player like on Mars or on the moon or something, <laughs> and he's just uh, he's just observing. I think. And, um, but as with most songs, really, it's really, uh, it's a love song, I think, about longing and, and, um, uh, it, it's a, it's really on the record, it's a very, you know, like rock kind of track and it's, you know, but, uh, when you play an acoustic guitar, it's really, it's, it's sort of, um, sort of like a Springsteen song, you know? And then about a few years after we'd recorded and written it, then I got all these emails one day saying, did you know that? Bruce Springsteen is using using Heaven's Wall as part of his walk-on music for for his tour, and I said no. 
So along with a list of maybe like 20 songs, and we weren't the only song, but, you know, as people would come into the lane or whatever. So, but then the, the list was amazing. Of like, you know, like mainly people would be like Andrew Harris or, you know, or, but I like, but like, sorry, to one example, just, I think Beth Orton was the only other. Oh, wow. Sort of new, new arts. All the others were like, you know, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, I think, then he wrote, he wrote a song called Heaven's Wall a few years later. He so, was really influenced by it. But I, I, I couldn't care less. It doesn't matter. I've got so much enjoyment from Springsteen's music. I don't give a fuck. But anyway. American standards and yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. He came backstage when we were playing at the Roxy in LA and he, we were on our first tour and he came backstage and he popped his, head, his tiny little dress room and he popped his head around the corner. And I said, I'm looking at, and literally it's like, it's like you're looking at me now. It's tiny. I, it's a tiny little room and um, in, in LA. And of course, you know, it was just us being Irish and Herbie from Cork. And, How are you, Bruce? Come on in. So he comes in with his wife. We offer him a beer from the rider. He goes, oh, no, guys, it's, not, it's so cool. He goes, I'm not going to take your rider. It's okay. I, I can order a drink. So he gets the waitress, comes in. So he sits down with the wife. And we're chatting away. And, but you look at him and he's like, it's Bruce Springsteen. He's in my dressing room. And he's the real, because he's so famous. He's like, he's like Michael Jackson. Or like, he's, he's like, it's, he's, it's, he's so famous. It's surreal, kind of. You're like, wow. It's surreal. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And it was so nice. And I told her how much I love, like, Tunnel of Love and what it yeah, meant to yeah. me. Chatting away. And then uh, he bought an album at the merch stand. And he says, will you sign, will you sign my album? Wow, nice. <laughs> We're laughing. And he says, are you sure? I signed to Bruce and signed the album. It's just so, so ridiculous, really, but so funny. Like, we're laugh laughing and looking at it. And, um, I'm sure you must have been on a high going on on stage then. Well, it's just, I mean, imagine that. That's life, I mean, and that's the you wonderful know, moments of life in things we don't expect to happen, and then they do, and you're amazing. like, I can't believe that. But he's just a guy, isn't he? He's just a guy. Yeah, well, he is, but he's also Bruce Springsteen, exactly. But just, like, <laughs> the coolest guy, like, he wouldn't take our beers. He, he didn't want to take the rider. He just came in to say, and he sat down. That's kind of like, he's like, just call me Bruce. And you're like, no, yeah, but you're Bruce Springsteen. No, no, just call me Bruce. Just call me Bruce. And Herbie's, how are you, Bruce? How's it going? Come in now. I just like, like, yeah, like he's his best good, pal. Good, friend, good friends with him for years. Well, yeah. that's a great story. And I mean, I'm sure you have many of, many of those stories. And look, you know, we'll have you on the podcast again. You can tell us way more of those stories. I'm sure Thanks, you so could man. write a book on them. Yeah, that's it. I, I probably should. <laughs> All the best. Thanks, man. That was fantastic. Thank you very much, Colin. It's been a pleasure to have you on um, and best of luck with the album and everything to come and we'll keep in touch. So Colin's going to play us out with the song, Heaven's Wall. Through the rise and fall Through the urban sprawl You can't have my sight then we can see it all In your neon dreams You will know what it means Outside of heaven's wall From the tower blocks To the lakes and trees when you know who you are, you will be on your knees. And when the real rain comes, then we can feel as one outside of heaven's wall.
So come on, take my hand. I see it through it all. When the stars come out, we can't watch them fall. So come on, take my hand. We'll rise above it all. And we can meet as planned outside of heaven's wall. From the mountain top, we'll see the fires glow. Everything you are is everything you know, and then the fear will come, and we can feel as one outside of heaven's wall. So come on, take my hand, I'll see you through it all. When the stars come out, we can't watch them fall. So come on, take my hand, we'll rise above it all. Then we can meet as blind on top of heaven's wall. Wow, really nice. That takes me back and takes me forward, takes me everywhere. And I was even through the, I was even in my head getting the, ah, the harmonies in the background. You can't yeah. help but sing them. You should do that. <laughs> Very nice, Colin. That was lovely. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you, Colin Devlin. Okay, thank you very much, Mr. Colin Devlin. That was a fantastic song. One of my favorites, actually, Heaven's Wall. And we really enjoyed that and loved hearing your stories about your rock and roll career so far. And we eagerly await the new album. I know it's going to be fantastic, like all of the other Devlin's albums and all of the other Colin Devlin albums. So that's going to be a good one. Let's put that in our book and wait for it. Okay, thank you very much, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed the first episode of season three. And thank you for being with us on the journey so far. And for the next few episodes, we have some great guests, some amazing content. So we hope you stay tuned and we hope you're enjoying the shows. And as always, you can leave reviews and please share the show. Please subscribe and please tell all your friends. We continue to try to give you great guests and entertain you. So until the next time, my name is Simon Kay. This is the Collective Whisper podcast. Take care of yourself and your family and the ones you love. Bye-bye.